our Cactus Campus, and then those of you watching online, uh, you know, two tips for tomorrow on Memorial Day. I got these from articles I read this week. The first is do not wish somebody a happy Memorial Day, right? Uh, it's not a, a celebration, it's a remembrance. And so uh, remember that tomorrow is a day that we remember those who gave their lives uh, so that we could have the freedom that we have in this country that we have. And then the second tip uh, and I just realized this this week, is that uh, a couple of decades ago, uh, there was a movement to uh, set aside a, a moment of silence at 3 p.m. local time, wherever you are. And I found that very meaningful. So uh, as you do your picnics or hikes or whatever you do tomorrow, uh, maybe at 3 o'clock, uh, set aside whoever you're with just a, a few minutes for a moment of silence. And my word, if you're a Christian, why don't you pray too at that time and, uh, and, and, and give thanks to God for those who gave their lives for the freedom that we have. So uh, Memorial Day. Now I need to uh, repent of something that I said only to this group and those of you uh, watching last week. I, uh, I, I made kind of light of the cold that I have. Some of you might remember that. And I you know, made fun of those who call it an upper respiratory infection and said, hey, it's just a cold. And I don't think God was pleased because this thing kicked my butt this week. And uh, <laughs> I uh, actually took Tuesday off. I was so miserable, and the creative arts people have not let me live it down. You know, hey, it's just a cold. What's wrong with you, you know? And I said, yeah. And so uh, I, I need to repent of that. I, I'm not as tough as I thought I was. And in fact, I'm still battling it. I was supposed to fly out today to visit Dad in Ohio and uh, canceled that trip because I just thought if this was hard enough on me at 54, he'd be a goner at 84 if he got that. And so... I want to protect him. Uh, Neil mentioned earlier that we have a, a new series that we're starting today, and it's going to be a, a, a great little three-week series, I promise you, a good intro to summer out of the first 11 verses of John 15. And we're going to uh, just look at all the verses each week in this series, so it's not going to be sequential because, as you'll see, Jesus picks out three themes that all have to do with this idea of closeness, the themes being abiding, pruning, and fruit. And so, you know, some of you think you're close enough to God already. Well, if that's true, then you teach this series because uh, I certainly have a long way to go. And uh, in my study this week, as you'll hear, God really uh, met me in that and, and, and by his grace revealed some things that have been wonderfully life-giving to me out of Jesus' words here. So let's pray and then we'll dive right in. God, our Father, we uh, thank you for our times of worship. Uh, we thank you that uh, hopefully this time has uh, focused our minds and settled our hearts before you so that our souls uh, and our spirits are now ready to engage you in your word. Lord, we're going to look at the very words of Jesus here today, which for thousands of years have been life-giving to uh, billions of people. And so we pray, God, that that would be true no less of us and that you would surprise us with joy and even transformation as we engage the words of Christ now. And I pray this in Jesus' name and we say together, amen. 
Well, seeing that this is Memorial Day, I want to uh, do something that old-time Christians used to do. They used to stand for the reading of the gospel. And so would you stand with me right now, uh, Cactus and Venue and Chapel stand. Even those of you watching online, stand right now for the uh, reading of the gospel. And I'm going to read uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Just follow along as I read it. We're going to put it on the big screen for you so that you can not be distracted by looking at me but at the scripture and pay a close attention to this idea of abiding because that's what we're going to talk about today abiding as a way of attaining closeness with God this is what Jesus says I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And thus ends the gospel reading. You may be seated. Now, if I was in your shoes right now, seated where you are right now, listening to these words of Jesus that we just read, the number one thing that I would be wondering is, what does Jesus mean specifically by this word, abide? I mean, you notice that there in highlighted bold, he uses the word 10 times in 11 verses here, which is a lot. And I don't know if you caught it, but he uses this word in hard-hitting and targeted ways. He says, abide in me like a branch to a vine, and if you do, you'll bear fruit, and if you don't, it's brush fire time for you. That's what he says. And then he goes on to say, in fact, the entire success life of your prayer life depends on this as well as your joy factor in this life. If I was in your shoes, given what Jesus has said here, I would be very interested in what he really means by this word abide. And so this week in my study, I spent a tremendous amount of time parked in front of this one word that Jesus uses here 10 times, this word abide. And I want to share with you some of the findings because it's a very, very rich thing Jesus is saying here. This word abide in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in is the Greek word meno. It's used about 118 times in the New Testament, meno, M-E-N-O. And the word is translated into the English as abide, remain, stay, reside. 
118 times is a lot of times. It was a very common word in the New Testament. And when you get right down to the precise idea behind this word, you're ready for this? The word means proximity, proximity. Our English dictionary would define proximity as nearness in space-time or relationship. And that's the idea behind meno. It's a word used to, to, to tell us about nearness or closeness. Picture this, two things that were once far apart that are now in the same proximity to one another. They are close. That's what this word means. And this week, as I looked up all 118 New Testament uses of this word, what I found was very fascinating. For there are essentially three types of proximity that meno is used in the New Testament to describe. This will be very important for where we're going. The word is used first to describe physical proximity and then relational proximity. And at times, what we're going to call spiritual proximity proximity. Let me explain the difference here. Obviously, physical proximity means proximity to a place, a person to a place, a very common usage of this word. About 40 times, a third of the times that this word is used in the New Testament, it's used to describe simply physical proximity. So Jesus used it this way in Mark 14, verse 34, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here, meno. Remain here and keep watch. So he's simply saying to the disciples, you stay physically put in this garden, meno. Stay in the proximity of this garden. I'm going to go over here and do business with the Father. Physical proximity, it's used about 40 times that way. But then about 14 times, this word, about a tenth of the time, is used to describe relational proximity, meaning proximity of a person to a person. This is used of Mary and Elizabeth in Luke 156. It says, and Mary remained meno with her Elizabeth for about three months. So you can picture that. It's just two people remaining together, proximity with each other, close, meno. That's what the word means there. Now, watch this. About more than half of the time, this word meno was hijacked by the New Testament writers to not mean physical proximity, to not mean relational proximity, but to describe our relationship with God. Jesus and John, as you're going to see, use this word a lot to describe what we're going to call spiritual proximity. In other words, they took this idea of physical and relational proximity and now applied it to how you and I need to interface with God on a regular basis. And so obviously the most uh, pointed illustration of this is the passage we just read out of John 15 where Jesus says, abide, meno, remain close, stay in proximity with me as a branch cannot bear fruit of, of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Notice the play on meaning that Jesus is giving us there. He, he talks about physical proximity of a branch to the vine, because everybody would get that. And he says, just like that happens, 
Make sure on a spiritual level that you are that way with me. So simply see at this point that there are three ways meno is used, each encompassing this idea of proximity, physical, relational, and then exploding into the spiritual. Now, before we go any further with this, I know this might seem very simple to you, but I want you to visualize this. Visualize this. I want to cement and uh, understand the power and profundity of this idea of meno and proximity by giving you a very clear physical picture of this. And, and to accomplish this, I'm going to ask Neil, Pastor Neil, to come up on stage here. So welcome Neil up onto the stage here. Come on, welcome Neil up onto the stage here. Wow, you guys are like dead. All right, so uh, Neil, I'm going to ask you to sit there, or actually sit here, and, uh, and, and I'm going to sit here. And as Neil and I are sitting uh, to, uh, in proximity with each other, uh, how would you describe how this feels to you right now? Contagious. <laughs> That's good. No, I, I would say close. Close. Yeah. Yeah, because right now, the way that we are seated, you could catch the virus that I have, and, and we could have a conversation. Uh, we could even have some intimacy together, male to male, in an appropriate way. I could ask you about your spiritual life and how you're doing. And, and this would be what meno looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Now, imagine, however, if I go here to the other end of the stage. Now, Neil, uh, tell us how this feels to you right now. Safe from contagion. <laughs> I, I feel shunned, hurt, cold, far away, unhappy, unfriendly. I'll that. be back in a minute. Okay, okay I get it. <laughs> what, what any of you would feel is that there would be now some distance in which there was at one time closeness. But, but here's the point is that some would say, oh, come on. We're still on the same stage together. You can obviously hear me. I mean, you know, we make phone calls to people and we do video chat and that seems to suffice in our modern day world. But as Neil just said, yeah, I can still communicate with him when I'm on the other side of the stage, but, but this feels very different. That's all I need you to see. Neil, thanks for oh, doing that for you. us. All right, good. And, and, and that's simply what I needed you to see. That's the point that Jesus is making here, that somehow, some way, if you want closeness with God, that's what Jesus is after in this chapter, to stay connected with him, then you need to make sure that you abide, meno, make sure that you keep close proximity with Jesus, just like you visualized here. In fact, I'll blow your mind here. This is such an important thing for Jesus and for the Apostle John who's recording these words of Jesus here that of all the 118 occurrences of meno in the New Testament, you ready for this? John and Jesus take up 67 of them. So out of all the books in the New Testament and the various writers, John and Jesus use this word more often than any other of them by, 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 by a wide margin. And out of the 67 uses, you ready for this? Uh, they only use the word 17 times to relate to physical or relational proximity 50 times. Jesus and John use this word meno to describe our relationship with God. There's a point in that, folks, and it's this. 
Jesus is essentially saying it's imperative that you keep close spiritual proximity with me. Your very spiritual life depends on it. And again, real quickly, what is spiritual proximity? It's this. Just like he's equating it to physical proximity, it's being very close to him. Abide in me and I in you. Now, once you and I get this, the obvious question becomes how? I mean, how do we abide and thus keep proximity to Jesus and then even from there experience God's closeness in our lives? How does all of this work, we might ask? And believe it or not, Jesus goes on to answer this for us. You'll see how in a second here in these 11 verses of John 15. And it's a progression that he gives us here, a progression which takes a lifetime to master and experience, but a progression that requires some intentionality on our part. And here's the progression of John 15, verses 1 through 11. And that is that Jesus says that that you and I have the obligation to abide in him, and that as we do that, he's going to prune our lives. Some of you who are younger may not know this agricultural metaphor here. Pruning simply means that when you're growing a bush or a vine or even a flower, if there's a part of it that doesn't bear fruit, if it doesn't seem to be growing, you clip it off so that something new and better can grow there. And Jesus is going to tell us that our spiritual lives are similar. There's going to be times where he prunes us. We're going to talk about that at length next week. So we abide, he prunes, and then God is going to then bear some fruit in our lives as a result of this. And all of that, believe it or not, some of you haven't even experienced this yet, is going to breed some closeness, some palpable closeness with the Lord. So let's talk first about this idea of abiding. Here's what you need to know about abiding. Out of all three parts of this progression, uh, abiding and pruning and fruit, this is the one that you and I have the most control over. That when you look closely at Jesus' words, there are action steps that he's going to ask you and I to take that will show some intentionality on our part in order to fulfill our obligation in this drawing close process. And you're saying, well, what are those steps? There's no less than five of them given here in the 11 verses of John. I'm going to walk them through rather quickly because you're going to know a lot of these, but then I'm going to challenge you on, on how we utilize these for abiding. So here's the first one Jesus tells us, and that is God's words as a way of us abiding in him. He says in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So how do we meno, stay close to Jesus? Well, we take his words, and I would argue the entire words of the Bible, because he gave those as well, and we meno those as well. We remain close to those. So I shared with you guys a few weeks ago that there's 783,000 plus words in the Bible, right? That's a lot. But we're talking about one of them today, and it's going to take us 35 minutes to do so. So you got a task before your life to be a man or woman of the word or to be like most Christians, and that's just to dabble in the word of God. 
to hear a sermon once a week or maybe on the way to work or to have a little 10-minute devotional in the morning. All good things to do. But that is not somebody who's menno, close with the very words of God. As I said to you a few weeks ago, you need to saturate your life with his word. You need to be a man or woman of the word. You need to be reading the Bible more than you watch TV. Wow, some of you never looked at it like that. You need to read the Bible more than you do a lot of your leisure activities. In other words, this isn't a 10 or 20 minute a day venture. This is God's word for crying out loud. And they need to remain close to you each moment of each day. And as you do so, you will naturally start abiding. And by the way, too, I, I need to mention this. I, I Also, don't be like a lot of American Christians and pick and choose what you like in the Bible. Accept all of it, what the Reformers called the whole counsel of God. Amen? And there's parts of the Bible you and I sweat at that we don't like, we cringe at. Those are good parts of the Bible. Those are the ones that God wants you to remain close to because that's where the challenge is, even if you're not living up to them. But we have a lot of Christians today that, 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 that don't like parts of the Bible, so what do they do? They ignore them. And I have many awkward moments throughout the week with this one. Somebody will be in my office and tell me about your spiritual life. Oh, I met this gal. It's been great. I mean, God provided her for me and it's been wonderful. Really? Oh, tell me about that. Well, I tell you, we moved in together and we've been living together and it's just great and we've never been so close. Wait, back up a second. So when did you get married? We haven't gotten married yet, but you see, so wait, you're living together, but you're not married yet. You know, the Bible says to keep the marriage bed pure and not to defile your wife before you would get married to her. And I'm telling you, now is that an awkward moment or not when that happens in my office? It is. Because maybe they don't want to hear that. It's kind of uncomfortable to think that maybe I'm doing something that the Bible says not to. And you know, some of us think, well, if I don't know about it, then it's okay. But now you know about it. And God does that to you and me all the time for crying out loud. There's things I didn't know and all of a sudden you'll bring to my attention that this is something I should know and I'm like, darn, now I know it. And I have to live it as we'll see in a minute here. But that's a good thing, why? My joy factor depends on this. Remember what Jesus said there? My prayer life depends on this. My very walk with God depends on his words. We're just ramping up. Notice the second thing he says here. So you got God's word as a way of staying close prayer. Jesus says in that same verse, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. So it's not a coincidence that as he talks about his words abiding in us, the very next statement he says as a way of abiding is, hey, you then talk to me. You communicate with me. You have a prayer life in which the communication lines, you ready for this, are constantly open with me. One of the most convicting verses in line with this is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, one of the shortest verses in all of the New Testament that says, pray, say this word with me, continually. Say it again, Continually. Many Christians want to look at that and say, well, that's obviously being poetic. It's obviously, you know, just sort of overstating the case for the sake of effect. We call that hyperbole. Problem is I looked up this word and you know what it literally means in the Greek? Say it with me. Continually. 
It means to pray, as another translation does, without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? What it means is, is that you are to have the communication lines with God open every moment of every day. I love it when people come up to me and you can just tell how maybe new to faith they are or not even in the realm yet because they'll say, hey, pastor, you mind dialing up a prayer for me? I love that image, dialing up, as if somehow I have to dial up God. I was at the Wailing Wall years ago in Jerusalem and it was actually a funny joke, but a guy came up to me from our group and said, hey, go ahead, it's a local call, you know. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny, you know, but... But, but even the idea that it's a phone call is, is bad theology. Do we all understand that? Because you don't have to dial up God. If you're a believer in him, he, he says the, the communication lines are always open. So, so there's times where I have concentrated times of prayer. You know, where I set aside 20, 30 minutes to have a conversation with God. But then as, as that concludes, I'm also talking to him as I get in my car. And I'm talking to him as I'm walking into Walgreens and as I'm walking into the parking lot here. And then as I interact with some of you, we might not be having a concentrated time of prayer, but it would not be unusual for me to stop and say, hey, Richard, let's just pray right now about that. And some of you go, well, yeah, you're a pastor. Well, I did it way before I was a pastor. I do it because I'm a Christian, for crying out loud. I do it because Jesus says part of abiding is to pray without ceasing, and it keeps you close to him. So you got God's word, you got prayer, you're gonna hate this next one, but Jesus could not have been more clear. You ready for this? He links obedience to this idea of closeness with him. He says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide. He could not be more clear. Now, some of you are going, you know, but yeah, what does he mean by commandments? Well, let's talk about that because it's not really complicated. He means the commandments that he, as the second person of the Trinity, has given to us in the word of God, both in the Old and New Testament, rightly understood and interpreted. Those are the commandments that he talks about. So, for instance, did you know that, that out of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, Testament, save for maybe Sabbath keeping, depending on how you interpret Hebrews 4, but I think it's actually still included, all 10 of the 10 commandments are repeated in the New Testament in commandment form. Did you know that? So when people say to me, well, you got the Old Testament and its law and the New Testament and its grace, well, yeah, there's some truth in that rightly understood, but this idea that the Bible doesn't contain commandments I love when people say to me, you know, the Bible's not a book of do's and don'ts. I'm like, well, have you read it? I, I mean, I, I, I know what you mean by that. You mean to say the Bible is not just a book of do's and don'ts, amen? I mean, I agree with that. But there's a lot of do's and don'ts in the Bible. There's a lot of do's and don'ts that Jesus gave us. Some of you go, I don't like that. Well, <laughs> talk to your kids. You did the same to them. I mean, every good parent has what we call imperatives for their children. An imperative in the English language and the Greek is a command. It's when you say, don't do that, do do that. And every good parent is praised for that because it creates discipline in children. Here's what you need to understand. You're God's child. 
And as his child, he has commands for you, and there's quite a few of them, and he wants you to be obedient to them. And all he's saying here is just like when your kid gets disobedient, and you don't kick him out of the family, you don't say you're no longer my kid, but, but there is distance between you and that kid when he or she is in active disobedience. God says it's the same way with him. That if you're in active known disobedience to him, and many times we are, he says, don't expect closeness. <laughs> don't expect to feel my presence. Don't, don't expect there to be wonderful joy between us because you're not understanding meno. You will abide when you keep my commandments. Now, there's actually a fourth and fifth thing that's added here, and it would be faith, a life of faith and trust in God, and then love for others. You're saying, where's that? Well, look at 1 John 3, 23. John says this about Jesus's commandments. He says, and this is his, meaning Jesus's commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So, watch this. Just as... Uh, there are lots of commandments that Jesus gave us. We all know that Jesus and the apostles also said, if you had to distill them all to two, what would they be? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's included in his commandments. And one could argue it's even the most important thing of his commandments, that you and I trust him each moment of each day and that we love one another. And here's the point. When you do that, when you keep those commandments of Jesus, you will be getting closer to him by abiding in him. And that's really important for some of us to know. Because some of us don't understand why we feel far away from God because, heck, I'm reading the Bible and I'm trying to be obedient and I pray. Here's what you don't understand. You're out there cursing other human beings and even your brothers and sisters in Christ being awfully judgmental on them. And you're not equating your terrible attitude toward other believers and the fact that you're not loving them with the distance that you feel from God. Whoa. See, this is the problem that some Christians have with this idea. Go to our chart here with this idea of abiding. I just listed for you from Jesus at least five things, and there's many others, by the way, like getting in touch with his indwelling spirit and learning to persevere. I mean, there's lots of things the Bible say we need to do to abide. I just gave you five, and that was God's word, prayer, obedience, faith, and love. And here's the problem with many Christians today, and that's that we kind of treat those five things as the five love languages of God. Are you familiar with Gary Chapman's love languages on a human level? They're actually quite good. Gary Chapman wrote a book years ago and, 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 and talked about this idea of love language. And he basically pointed out that human beings have five love languages. We either communicate through gift receiving, quality time, affirming words, acts of service, or physical touch. So, uh, you know, who, who can I pick on here? Carol here. Uh, I don't know where Frank is today, but Carol's here, and, and she's married to Frank. And, and you know, y you and Frank each have a love language in your life. 
and yours, I don't know you well, but they might be, say yours is physical touch and his is affirming words. And Chapman argues it's important to know each other's love language because say, for instance, your love language is affirming words, but the other person's love language is physical touch. They're gonna think every time they touch you that you're being loved where you want to hear words of affirmation. So Chapman basically argues you gotta learn somebody else's love language. Here's the problem with that if you drag it into your relationship with God. Now you're gonna understand what I mean. God does not have a single love language. And so many Christians look at that list that I just gave here, things like God's word and prayer and obedience and faith, and they go, oh, you know what? I'm good at a couple of those. I really am. I mean, yeah, I trust him. I trust him. And I love other people, Jamie. I do well at that. I'm not very obedient. I got to tell you that right now. And there's some sin in my life that I know about, but I'm not ready to give it up. And I really don't want to trust God with this one. And, and yet, hey, I'm batting pretty good. You know, I'm batting like 400 when it comes to these abiding things. And here's the problem with that thinking. It's not a two out of five scenario. It's not a love language issue. God says these all are the keys to abiding in me. And yeah, you might be good at a couple of them, but if you stink at some of the other ones, you're gonna feel the distance. And I'm not trying to be hard on you guys here. You just need to understand, I've been doing this for almost 40 years. This is the way God operates. And so we need to take very seriously our obligation to abide in him, our obligation to trust him and to love others and to obey and to know his word and to pray. And then the other things the scripture says, if you want to have joy, if you want to be close with God, if you want to have a robust prayer life, there are things that he wants from you, but the payoff is tremendous. Now, uh, more quickly, I want you to notice, and we're gonna spend more time in the future weeks on this, that, that, that we're just getting started with this idea, oh, go back, this idea of abiding. Now, just go back one slide. And that is that, that, that Jesus says, once you and I draw close through abiding, his job will be then to prune, and then his job will be to create fruit and then we're gonna have like closeness we could not even imagine. So what does the pruning thing mean? We're gonna explore this next week. And again, it's gonna be tough for some of you because pruning hurts. But Jesus says in verse two, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Let me wet your whistle here or something. This is so amazing to me. One would think that God prunes us because he's unhappy with us and maybe doesn't like us wants to whack us until we get with the program. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Notice that he says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Now, that's interesting. So, so the ones that don't bear any fruit, he says, is brush fire time for you. The ones that bear fruit, those of you who are doing well, favored and beloved of the Lord, he says, it's clipping time for you. But we're gonna prune you. But we're gonna look at Hebrews next week and it talks about the discipline of the Lord. And what we're gonna notice, in, notice is that he disciplines those he, have you read it? Loves. 
Just like you disciplined your kid, he disciplines us. But we tend to be so afraid of it and think, oh, God's mad at us. That's not it. He prunes you. He disciplines you only because he loves you. Only because he's involved in your life. Only because he wants you closer to him. And then after pruning, notice with me that there is fruit bearing time. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears, say this word with me, much fruit. We're gonna talk about that in week three. Much fruit. You're saying, what kind of fruit? (laughs) Boy, you ready for this? You ever read, uh, we did a whole series on it, so hopefully you remember it, the fruit of the spirit. Remember what those nine things are, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, How would you like those things in your life? God wants to do those in your life. How about transformation? Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. It says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word transformed is a Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get the English word metamorphosis from. It pictures a a caterpillar that goes into the cocoon and comes out as what? A butterfly. God says you can experience that kind of transformation as you draw close to me, that kind of fruit in your life. Or how about this one? This is my favorite. And that's that you can be used by God positively in the lives of others and in this world. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're in kind of a relationship with, say, your wife, your kids, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a service provider, and all of a sudden God dials up this conversation and something happens and all of a sudden you see him use you to do something profound in another person. See, the Bible calls that fruit bearing. And here's the point in all of this, that when you get to the point where you are actively abiding in him and he is pruning you, just rounding off those rough edges of your soul, and then you're bearing fruit that's really his fruit in you, I'm telling you, you will start to experience in a way that you never thought possible, closeness. Romans 5.5 says something that most Christians, I think, are confused by. It says that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. Most Christians, I don't think, really experience that. They might know it's true. They don't feel it. I love how Brennan Manning says it when he was alive. He said that most Christians are like travel agents, dreaming of places that they've never been and talking about places they've never seen. And we're a lot like spiritual travel agents when it comes to the love of God being poured out in our hearts. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's a multifaceted approach Jesus gives us. Abiding, which involves quite a few things. And then pruning, which is difficult to go through. And then fruit, which is, we're gonna see, happens on multiple levels. But as you commit to that course, as you make it your life's goal to be in that kind of battle, to have that kind of journey, you will experience closeness with him. That promise that he gave us in Matthew 28 when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you for years has gone, I get that promise. Don't really experience it all that much. Like he said, I'll never leave you, but I wonder where he is. You don't have to live like that. Jesus is here to tell us in John 15, there can be a different experience for you as his follower, but you gotta abide. You gotta be pruned. You gotta see some fruit. 
And as you do that, you're going to be close to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the amazing grace that you show us, even at times when it comes in the form of tough love to us. God, the things we've talked about today have a, have a high cost to them, to be a man or woman of the word, to keep constant prayer uh, life going, to be obedient in our faith, to uh, trust you in and through everything, to love other people even when we don't want to, and we're just scratching the surface there, Lord. And then to be pruned by you and, and to see the fruit, God, it, it, it's not for the faint-hearted. But Lord, that's why Jesus said that when a person puts his hand to the plow, he doesn't look back. And the, the Son of Man had no place to, to lay his head and that we need to take up our cross and follow you. God, may we be men and women here and at Cactus and Venue and Chapel and those watching online, may we be men and women who desire to know you above all else and are willing to draw close. Bless us as we do, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.